6, it is truly one of the great chapters of the Word of God. Jesus gives us much instruction. You ought to read it. You ought to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I have a preacher friend, and he uh, did a series on that called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. And I think that's probably correct. Amen. Of all the sermons that Jesus preached, this is probably the greatest. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he tells us to give graciously. Look what he says there. He says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. By the way, it doesn't mean if you give. I think about it in particular in our church. If you give, somebody will see you put something in the bucket. But you didn't do it for them to see you put something in the bucket. Amen? I hope not. If you did, you got your reward right then and there. If you didn't, you'll get your reward later. Amen? So he instructs us there to give graciously. And he says in verse, I love verse 4, That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So he tells us to give graciously in verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 through 13, he tells us to pray privately. Not only to give graciously, but to pray privately. Look what he says there in verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Again, this has to do with motive. What, what is the purpose? Oh, he wants to have this super theological prayer that people will be so impressed by him. And you know what he says? They have their reward. You know, prayer, if you get blessed by my prayer, that's a byproduct. I'm talking to my Father. Amen? Now listen, I, I don't believe this is, Matthew chapter 6 is, a, is an indictment against corporate prayer about praying together in prayer meetings and all. All through the book of Acts we find prayer meetings, people praying together. But he's saying this, in general you, you ought to pray in secret. Pray in your closet. Uh, I've said before, uh, my closet used to be my car. Amen? Driving down the road before cell phones and I'm sitting there going like this. And the person next to me is going... Amen? Because I'm talking to nobody. At least they thought it was nobody. I was talking to my father. Amen? And he says in verse 6, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So give graciously. Pray privately. How about verses 14 and 15? Here we go. This is why I lose friends. What's it say? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Give graciously, pray privately, forgive freely. 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 But they didn't come and ask for forgiveness. Forgive them anyway. For your sake. You know why? Nobody who got in the habit of forgiving ever ended up dying of bitterness. Amen? In 
And I've learned this before. There have been people in my life that have hurt me that have never said I'm sorry. They've never, never acknowledged the hurt. And I could either be eat up with bitterness or I could just forgive because the Bible says, says so. Forgive freely. Pray privately. Give graciously. Again, here's one. Verse 16, moreover, when ye want. You guys don't have those tomatoes with you tonight, do you? Amen. Fast faithfully. And you know what, again, really, if you think about it, all of this entire passage through what we've been reading here in verse 16 and 17, when thou fastest, by the way, it says when you give, when you fast, when you pray, not if. The implication here is that somebody who's set apart to God will do all those things. And I'm not telling you how long to fast and how often to fast, but I know this. Uh, I, I know this just from health people will tell you that fasting is a good thing for you. It's good. The gorging on the half gallon of ice cream after you get done with your fast is not a good thing. Amen. But fasting, fasting faithfully. You know what you notice about these, this, this passage here, especially up through fasting, uh, really verses 1 through 18, you know what it all has to do with? Your private life. Think about it. God says your giving should be done privately. That your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Your praying should be in the, in the prayer closet privately. You're forgiving. Boy, that's in the privacy of your heart, isn't it? And you're fasting. It's private. He, what God says here is no one should know you're fasting. You know, the only thing that gives it away sometimes is the growl of the stomach. You know, you're standing next to somebody and you're doing your best not to disfigure your face because maybe you haven't eaten in 36 hours or whatever. And they look and say, how are you doing? And all of a sudden your stomach goes, and they're like, wow, you know, doesn't your wife cook for you or what? Like, oh, just trying not to disfigure my face here. Amen. Don't want to let people know I'm fasting. What's it dealing? It's dealing with our private life, and that's between us and God. Well, as we look at further in the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much good, good preach, so many great verses in this passage. We could look at verses 19 through 21, where it talks about laying not up treasures on earth. And, and listen, that doesn't mean, I, I don't believe this at all, it doesn't mean that God doesn't use people who have wealth. Thank God for people who have wealth and use it for the Lord. There's been wonderful people through the years that have just been a blessing to so many. But it's saying this, don't make worldly treasures your goal. You know, we talked about that. I read this morning from Proverbs 23. Uh, Witches make themselves wings and fly away. And uh, somebody well said, said, money talks and mine always says goodbye. <laughs> true, amen. <laughs> very, very true. And if you just set your heart on money, you're going to be disappointed all your life. But if you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my affection on things above, not on things of the earth. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my money to reach people with the gospel so that heaven can have more people in it. That's what it is uh, to, to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt. And I love what Jesus says. He really gets to the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And what does he say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
You know, I've heard somebody say the phrase, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Brother Boston, I've never met anybody that was so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. Matter of fact, they were a lot of earthly good because they were heavenly minded. And so he goes on, and uh, you, uh, the great passage there in verses 22 and 23 about the eye, it controls the whole body. And then in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. Serve voice and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon or money. What happens is money becomes a God to people who serve it. And God gets regulated to second place, and God should never be second anything. Right. And then he gets into this wonderful passage on worry, really is what it is. I know it's not worry for you, it's concern. That's a Christian word for worry. Yeah. It's really what it is. And he talks there. He says, you know, if, if you'll just decide that you're going to serve God, if you say, I'm not going to, I, I need to choose between these two masters. If you, if you say, you'll serve God. He said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Listen, you didn't create yourself. You didn't give yourself the, the kidneys and liver and gallbladder and pancreas and lungs and heart. You didn't do that. God did that. God was the one who gave you life. And so then he says, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. I think, uh, how many of us husbands like to quote this verse to our wife when we say, hey, let's go out to eat. What do you want? Where do you want to go? And they say, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Seven hours later. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. And, you know, we had a clean, we had a clean shave when we started the conversation, and now we've got a Santa Claus beard. Amen. It says, take no thought what you shall, shall drink or what your body or what you shall put on. And what does he say here? Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? He said, these are necessities that God knows about in your life. Food and clothing. And what does he say? Such a great passage. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. By the way, nothing wrong with sowing, reaping, and gathering into barns. Happens every year. Springtime, summer, fall. Part of the harvest season. But birds don't do that. And yet, your heavenly Father feedeth them. I love what, I, one of the, the things I love most about spring is seeing the birds come back. We saw two geese outside our pond today. Now, I don't appreciate them. Get out of here, amen. But when you see all the little birds coming back, we've got a, we've got a uh, thermometer right on the edge of our garage, and there's a perfect spot for a nest, and they build one there every year, Brother Jim. They just, little, little guys, you know, beautiful. But you see the cardinals and the bluebirds and stuff. You know, you never heard of a bird worrying where their next meal was going to come from. I love this little poem. I've quoted it so many times. Said the sparrow to the robin, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Aren't we that way sometimes? We, we get to worrying. And he says here, you're much better than the birds. Then he goes further. He says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? 
Remember when you were little and you used to draw the lines on the, the door there? And, you know, I remember when my kids were 47 inches tall and we'd go to the amusement park and they'd wear platform shoes so they could get on the 48-inch rides, amen? <laughs> you know, you, you and I both know you can't add one cubit to your stature. We went when my wife started doing her cancer treatments and they said, how, how tall are you? She said, 5'10", and she went to the, to the you know, resident and she was 5'9". She was not happy. That she was shrinking, ladies, amen. Some of you ladies know all about that. You fluff your hair so you don't shrink, amen. Hey, no matter what, we can't add to our, we just can't do it. God made us as tall as we're going to be. But look what he says there. He says, and why take you thought for raiment? He said, if you can't add one cubit to your stature, why are you worried about God clothing you? What does he say? He says, consider the lilies of the field. So first thing he said was consider the fowls. Second thing he said was consider the flowers. Nothing like a flower in springtime. And, and he says the same thing. He says, he said, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, with all his changes of raiment that he had as king, was not arrayed like one of these. And he says here, If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and then tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? We'll come back to that. Then he says again, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? I, I love this verse. This, this verse is the key to this passage. It says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And then what's he said? He said, because you have a heavenly Father that knows you have need of these things, what should you do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first in your life. Amen. Because you have a heavenly Father that can meet your needs. And all these things, food, clothing, raiment, will be added unto you. That phrase there in verse 30, if you look at it again, he says, How much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? The phrase, little faith, is used five times in the New Testament. Five times. Four in Matthew, a parallel account in Luke chapter 12, verse 28 of Matthew 6.30. Just as one, thankfully, I think of two people in the Bible that were mentioned that had great faith. And by the way, it's so interesting that neither one of them was Jewish. Amen? One of them was a centurion who had helped build a synagogue, a Roman soldier that had great faith. And you remember, he had a servant that was sick. And he went to Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll come heal him. The centurion said, I know who you are. You don't even have to come. He's like, all you got to do is say the word. Remember what he said? He said, I've not found so great faith. Not in Israel. And then the other one was a Greek woman, a Syrophoenician is the term. It's in Matthew chapter 15. Remember, she had a daughter that was possessed of a devil. And she came to Jesus. And sometimes when you read that account, it... it 
you can read, if you just read it quickly, you think Jesus is just kind of brushing her off and, and not treating her with kindness because he said, I'm, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. He said, I've, come, I've got to come to the Jew first. And then, and, and she was, it was so great. And he, he uses the term, he, he, he uses the term dog in, in, in a, you know, a different way. And, uh, uh, he he kind of refers that way, and she said, she says, yeah, but Lord, the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the rich man's table. And you remember what he said? Because she just wouldn't leave him alone. She said, you got to heal my daughter, you got to heal my daughter, you got to heal my daughter. And he said, great is thy faith. You know, I'm glad <clears throat> you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be powerful, you don't have to be well-known, you don't have to be popular to have great faith. But just as there are those with great faith, there are also those Christians who have little faith. Now, don't misinterpret me. Here's the kind of faith that you want to have. You want to have just a little bit more faith than your doubts, in all God's people said. But what I guess I'm referring to here is those who, you've been saved a little bit, and you still have little faith. And we're going to talk about that in our conclusion about how God wants us to increase our faith and grow in our faith. But let's, if we can, look, our, our, our title tonight is The Harvest That We Reap Because of Little Faith. What happens in our life when we will not grow in our faith, when we kind of stagnate? in our faith, or maybe even go back. We talked a couple weeks back about backsliding, amen? What happens when we should have more faith and we only have little faith? Well, we're going to look here at three passages, four passages in Matthew. We'll look at all four passages in Matthew. I think the first thing is in our passage here is we get overcome by fretfulness. Fretfulness. What's that? Worry. We worry about things that we have no business worrying about. How tall we're going to get. Why would anybody worry about that? What can you do about that? Nothing. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. When, when we have, and that's, what the, that's why he was challenging the disciples here. He said, look, God closed these flowers, and then the next day they're wilted. Doesn't he care about you even more than that, O ye of little faith? Listen, some people die an early death because they worry all the time. Would you, listen, I know we all have a tendency to worry People ask, you know, will ask me, hey, what's, what's, your biggest, what's your biggest burden, Pastor? What's your biggest worry? Listen, I signed a 30-year mortgage when I was 48 years old. You can figure it out. Hey, Amen? That's just, a, okay. But here's what I know. Made every payment so far. I think God's good for it. I think God's people are good for it. You know, if you're not careful, you can just be so chewed up about these things that you can't control. And I'll tell you what it is. It's little faith manifesting itself in your life. Fretfulness. You get fretful and worried. And I tell you, worried people are irritable people. They're upset people all the time. They get that full bra. Worry. Fretful. 
Well, let's go further here. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 8. Prone to worry rather than trust. Faith in God is the secret to a worry-free heart. Prayer and trust in His promises brings peace. So often I'll go for surgery, uh, I'll go and pray with somebody at surgery, and what passage do we read? We read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, anxious, worried, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, your Heavenly Father, the one who loves you, the one who cares about you, the one who desires to meet your needs. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds from worry from Christ by Christ Jesus our Lord. So Matthew chapter 8, fretfulness is a it's it's part of the harvest of little faith in our lives. There's a second thing that we see in really it's in both passages. We'll, we'll look first. As a matter of fact, let's go, let's go to Matthew 14 first, and then we'll go back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 14. Sounds like a windstorm in here, amen? All those pages ruffling through the leaves in the trees, amen? <clears throat> verse number, look at verse 28. So here's Jesus and he's walking on the water, walking on the waves. And he says in verse 27, It is I, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. I love this exchange. It's so great. Verse 29, he said, come. Come on. Step out of that boat and exercise faith. Amen. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just grab a hold of that for a minute. This is not calm sea. This is waves all over the place. And he is walking on the water, a human being, born of man and woman, just like you and me, is walking on the water. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was what? Afraid. Afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of... Wherefore didst thou doubt? Over to Matthew chapter 8. You remember the account here. It begins in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, and he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye what? O ye of... So what do we see first? We see a, a harvest of a lack of faith is fretfulness, but secondly, it's certainly fearfulness. And maybe we ought to flip those two. One and two, right? Jesus stilled the storm of the sea, but he couldn't still the fear inside their hearts. Aren't we... The same? Hmm? 
think we can be. I, I know we can be. I know I can be. I don't know about you. I, I shouldn't speak for you, but I know I certainly can be. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. What are we supposed to fear? We're supposed to fear God. If we fear God, we'll really fear no one else. And so what we see here is a, a fearfulness that comes upon us. Why? It's a byproduct of a lack of faith in God. By the way, it's okay if you're that way. We're all that way from time to time. Fretfulness. Fearfulness, and this is so interesting. If you go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. You know what I love about this? So many times the disciples did not get what Jesus was saying. And so many times I've read my Bible and not quite got what Jesus was saying. So he said, you know, and again, those of you that know this passage, he's, he's talking about, when he uses that term leaven, he's talking about the doctrine of, of the Pharisees and the doctrine of the Sadducees and the doctrine of the Herodians. By the way, each one, polar opposites about what they believe, but he said, watch out for each one of them. And they reason among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of... Why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember, the five loaves and the five thousand? And every Sunday school kid said, <laughs> Amen. How many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, I spake not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What do you see here, Pastor? I see uh, fretfulness is a result of a lack of faith. I see fearfulness. And I'll tell you a third thing I see. I see forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. See, it wasn't that they had forgotten to take bread. They had forgotten the one who had taken just a little bit of bread and fed 5,000 men and 4,000 a different time. Did, did, he, did he need them to pack bread? No. But he said, in essence, he said, I wouldn't even talk about it. But what, what happened to them was they forgot what Jesus could do. You know, when our faith is where it should, we have a calm assurance in our life that God will meet our needs, take care of us. But when we have a lack of faith, huh? we forget about all those times that Jesus came through. Yeah. Huh? 
We forget about all those needs that we have. We forget about the needs we had today that he already met. Huh? Forgetfulness. So, what can we do about a little faith? And this is really our, our application. What, what do we need to do in regards to a little faith? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, and look, if you would, at verse number 17, please. Such a simple verse, a basic. <clears throat> Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You want to have more faith? There's no shortcut. Read this book. Again, we mentioned this morning. Read this book. Study this book. Meditate upon this book. Memorize this book. Have family devotions out of this book. Spend time in this book. Be in the book. It's the only way to increase your faith. But not only... This, this idea here. But let's look at a couple other passages. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. So back almost to the back of your Bible there. Right after James is 1 Peter and then there's 2 Peter chapter 1. Increasing our faith in the Word of God. Secondly here I would say not only increase your faith but grow in your faith, which is obviously a synonym for increase, but it tells us specifically areas to grow in here, in Second Peter. Verse 4, it kind of starts with the beginning of faith here, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the, that is in the world through lust. This is saying here, you trust Christ, you get saved, amen. Then he says this, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your what? See, some people get saved and they never add to their faith. And forgive me, they, if, if I could use this term, they become spiritual pygmies. They become spiritual midgets. They never grow. And it's not right. It's not healthy. God, God here tells us what happens when we grow, and he also tells us what happens when we don't grow. But he gives us some specific areas. He says, uh, add to your faith virtue. You know what that says? That's moral excellence. By the way, it starts with, you don't get moral excellence before you get faith. you got to have faith to have moral excellence. And add to virtue knowledge. Again, in the book. To knowledge, temperance, that's self-control. These are all things that should grow from our faith. Character traits. And to temperance, patience. 
and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. And then he says this, talking about if you'll grow in these areas, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let me say this in regards to our message. If you'll grow your faith, you'll not be fretful, fearful, or forgetful of what the Lord has done in your life. But look what verse 9 says. Incredible. But he that lacketh these things, so he still has faith, still trusted Christ, still saved, but didn't grow. I've met hundreds of people like this in my Christian life through the years. Where they call you, go to the door and you knock the door and you talk to them and you, you, you begin to open your New Testament and you go through the whole plan of salvation. They say, I did that. I did that. I remember that. I was in Sunday school or, or somebody I talked to and I remember I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. But they never grew. When we started the conversation, they didn't even know that they were saved. That's verse 9. That's verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. It didn't say he wasn't purged from his old sins. It said he forgot. Why? You didn't grow. You let fearfulness and fretfulness and forgetfulness harvest in his life instead of growing in his faith. You've got to be in the book. You've got to add to your faith. And then I think something else here, and just a simple thought tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. This book, we, I preached out of it uh, last year, preached out of this chapter. It starts off and it gives us the definition of faith in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then there's the decoration of faith, uh, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then we see the deeds of faith for the rest of the chapter. And that's really where want to, I guess it would be this, you know, increase your faith, add to your faith, and then last point of application would be exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. You know, People will tell you, I'm not talking about the just gym rats, but doctors will tell you that muscles which are not properly exercised atrophy. That means exercise is really a, a, a use it or lose it type situation. And I say, you're, you're not going to lose your faith. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not going to, to lose it, so to speak. But you can... It can be displaced by fearfulness, fretfulness, and forgetfulness. But if you exercise it, it is a whole lot less likely to happen. And so what we have in this chapter, if you look at verse number 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith 
Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. If you look down at verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called out to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, what? Obey. Do you know what exercising your faith is? Exercising your faith is obeying God when you don't understand God. That is, let me say that again, exercising faith is obeying God when you don't understand God. Probably some of the most beloved verses in the Bible are Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I know many people claim those as their life verses. Wonderful verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's faith. Not with half of your heart. That's, that's not faith. That's faith in scheming. Aren't we all a little scheming? We all got a little Jacob in us. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And here's the key. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. That's obedience. That's obedience right there. Saying, God, I, I always think that the best example of that is that one we just read of Abraham. Abraham, Yes, Lord. I want you to leave over the Chaldees. Okay. Now again, if it's you and me, uh, let me just put me, if it's me, which way am I going? I don't know. When am I leaving? Now. Do I have time to pack? No. Which way should I go? Just go. That's really what happened in Abraham's life. God just said, I want you to leave. He said, okay. He obeyed not understanding. You know, I have such respect for Christians who go through great tragedies. I've watched some precious believers go through great tragedies and continue to trust God. That the song we sing, Miss Judy, that the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. Amen. You know what I call that? Great faith. How about you tonight? Where's your faith at? Now, I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, I have such great faith, Pastor. If you do, the altar is for you because you got a pride problem. <laughs> no, I, I like to think, hey, Pastor, I'm growing in my faith. I feel like I'm trying to grow. I'm, I'm trying. But some of you may say, look, you got to that fretfulness and fearfulness and forgetfulness, and you hit me between the eyes, Pastor. Why don't you make a place at this altar and say, God, help me to trust you when I don't understand you. Help me to add to my faith virtue. Help, listen, help me to build my faith in this book. Listen, maybe it's just a matter of you, you have got to, you have got to set aside a time every day to be in this book. Now, I'd like to say that's easy when you're retired, but uh, I've known some retired people that are busier when they're retired than they were when they weren't retired. But I know this, no matter what stage of life you are, no matter where you're at, I think of young moms. I, I remember specifically my wife 
when, when our boys were little. And I came downstairs one day, and she was on our couch, and she had, she had one child in each arm. The boys were tiny at the time, and had her Bible in her lap. I've never forgotten that. I, I, I just come down and remember that. And like I'm the kind of person that I've got to have my Bible out and I've got to have, you know, everything's got to be in order. And you know, you know how that is. We're all a little different, amen. But here's what I know. If you don't carve out some time every day, you won't be in this book. You've got to carve it out. You've got to say, look, this time every day. I don't care if it's coffee break at work. I don't care if it's before work, after, whenever, uh, before dinner. you you got to say, listen, the laundry can pile up for 15 minutes while I get in this book. I've learned this. There's always something to distract you from this book. Always. So be in the book. Add, to your, add these character traits that are listed. You gotta go through, do a little study on, on that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And then exercise your faith. That means when God, you, God makes it clear that you're supposed to do something, don't argue with Him about it. Don't alibi about it. Just say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. God will increase your faith. You don't, listen, you don't want the harvest on that graphic. Looks pretty rough, doesn't it? Pretty wretched. You know what that is? That's fretfulness, fearfulness, and forgetfulness. You don't want that. Build your faith. Build your faith. Build your faith. And when crisis comes, you'll have a faith to build on. Lord, we love you. Thank you.